0: 2 Timothy is the last book that the Apostle Paul wrote. It was written around 67 AD. You may want to write that at the top of your Bibles. Right at the top, just put the number 6 7 so that you will not forget that it was about 35 years that the Apostle Paul has been a Christian. He has now been a believer for a longer number of years than he was an unbeliever. This letter comes to us as the last thing from his pen. When he is done with this letter, his pen will dry up, the letters will stop, the sword will flash. His head will come off. His spirit will go to God. And the words well done. Good and faithful servant will be heard. As the most remarkable example of Christian godliness. Who has ever lived on this earth. Finishes his ministry. This is his 13th letter. Unless he wrote Hebrews. In which case, it's his 14th letter. But I think no matter who wrote Hebrews, whether it was Apollos or whether it was Luke, there's a growing literature that says that Luke might have written the letter to Hebrews. No matter who wrote it, it seems undeniable that Paul the Apostle helped to train the writer of Hebrews. It's filled with Pauline teaching. And here tonight we see the last thing that he has to say. What would you say? Almost like the words on your tombstone. What words would you put? If you just had one letter. You've got one last chance to speak. What would you say? We're about to see what Paul would say. And it is filled with glory and power for his church. You, you tonight should go away from here with your spiritual batteries charged up because this letter has power. You should go away from here tonight Ready to serve the Lord, because this letter has all of that inside. Let's see it. Second Timothy chapter one: Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of life which is in Christ Jesus. And now skip down to verse three <clears throat> I thank God whom I serve from my forefathers. Wait just a minute, Paul. Weren't you a murderer? Weren't you a man who took Christians and put them in prison? And when they plead for pled for mercy, you had close ears weren't you the man who whipped christians weren't you the man who separated mother and child husband and wife are you saying you served god from your forefathers paul is saying as i get ready to die i'm an old man now and i'm looking back <clears throat> <clears throat> To all the godly believers from all the ages. I'm looking back to Abel. Who lost his life at the hands of Cain. And our Lord in Matthew 23 says. Abel was a believer. He's looking back to Enoch. Who was righteous and God took him. He's looking back to Noah who alone found grace in the eyes of the Lord. He's looking back to Abraham, who was called by God. And because of his faith, Abraham was chosen as the example of faith. He's looking back to Jacob and Joseph and Judah. He's looking back to Moses, who wrote five books of the Bible. He's looking back to David and Solomon and Hezekiah is looking back to Jeremiah and Isaiah and Daniel and Ezra and Nehemiah. He says to them, now look back at the heritage we've seen. Paul is a conservative. He's someone who takes the best of the traditions of the past and keeps them going. He's a conservative in verse three. I thank God whom I serve from my forefathers with a pure conscience without ceasing, I remember you night and day in my prayers. I greatly desire to see you. I remember your tears. Verse 5. I remember the faith, the true faith, the sincere faith in you, which started where? There he is, the conservative again. Do you see it? Look in verse 5. He's still a conservative. In verse 5. Callie, better use your Bible. In verse 5, is see, his faith, Timothy's faith, started where? It started with his mother and with his look back to the past. God has given you grace. Very rarely does God break in and bring all the light at once. When does the sun come up? Not when the first light is up. You see the first light 30 minutes before you see the bright orange disc of the sun coming up, right? Get up at 4.30 and look at the sky as it goes from black to gray, from gray to light blue, and then see the sun come up. That's what happened here. And God's usual way of working is for a godly grandmother to teach her child and then her child to teach her child And slowly faith grows. Yes, there are times when miracles come. But in general, the conservative way to live is slowly taking the best over 50, 100, 200, 500, 1,000 years. That's what Paul says here. And you're going to see it the whole way through this letter. Paul reaches back and then he presses forward. He says, look at my godly forefathers. Don't forget your grandmother. And now, Timothy, I go to you. Look in verse six. I put you in remembrance. You, Timothy, young man, remember the gift of God. Stir it up. It was given to you, verse seven. Because God has not given to us the spirit of fear, but of power. And of love, of a pure mind, solid mind. Verse 8. Do not, therefore, be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. Start writing in your Bibles every time you see his suffering. Here's the first reference to suffering in verse 8. Paul is a prisoner. He's in the Mamertine prison in Rome. That filthy hole He's going to be taken out of that to execution. Be you, you must be a partaker with me in the afflictions of the gospel, according to the power of God. Friends, the gospel calls us to suffer. It's going to happen to you. It happened to Timothy. Hard times and pain will come. It doesn't take any faith to love God when life is comfortable. The faith is required when life is hard. And that's what Paul says from the beginning. So he says to Timothy, you need power. You need strength. You're going to see that come over and over in this letter. Paul tells Timothy, you need power and you need strength. Because of suffering. Watch for that. In my Bible, I just drew a box around every time it says, be strong, or something like that. I put suffer or S on the side of the Bible whenever there's a reference to suffering or affliction. Look there in verse 9. Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before the world began. That verse might have more soteriology in it than any verse in the Bible. That verse right there may have more theology in it than any verse in the Bible. Can you think of a single verse that has more theology than that verse? Look, Just count the doctrines as we go through verse 9. Go back to verse 9. Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling. There's the calling of God. That's God speaking right into the soul of man. So that he must be saved and will be saved. Next line. Not according to our works there's sola fide, faith alone. We are not saved by our works. That's it, right there, verse nine. But according to his own purpose, there's the sovereignty of God. And grace, there's sola gratia, grace alone, which was given to us, there's monergism. In Christ Jesus, there's solus Christus. Before the world began, there's election. And when he mentions in Christ Jesus, that's the deity of Christ, which is also the Trinity. All in that one verse. Oh, I'd like to preach a whole series of sermons from verse nine. It's a powerful verse. Verse 10. But is now made manifest by the appearing of our savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and has brought life And immortality delight through the gospel. Look in verse 12. For this cause I also suffer these things. Mark an S. Suffering. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. And so, verse 13 Hold fast. Do you see that in verse 13? You can put a box around it. Hold fast. Be strong, Timothy. Hold on, Timothy. Don't give up. Why? Because of what he just said in verse 12. In verse 12, I'm suffering and I'm not ashamed. Timothy, you've got to be like me. You're going to suffer. They're going to hurt you. Don't you let go. Let go of what? Verse 13. What is Timothy supposed to hold on to? Dorothy, can you tell me in verse 13? Okay. Alpheus, what is he supposed to hold on to in verse 13? The The pattern. Dorothy, your Bible needs the word pattern. I've got to get you a better Bible. Form, pattern, tradition. Look down there in verse 13. Hold on to the pattern, or the tradition. That's conservatism. Where do you get traditions from? You don't download them today. You get them from your fathers. You get them from the past. Have you ever noticed on the front of our songbooks what it says? Songs and creeds for faithful adoration. Adoration. We're trying to look to the past. I like that Dacato pointed out Isaac Watts' song because he lived 300 years ago. We're always trying to remind you that the church wasn't invented today. It's hundreds and thousands of years old and we're just taking the pattern of what we got in the past. We're not inventing. We're being, what it says right there, faithful Adoration. We're not bringing something new. You won't come and find uh, songbook two point four. There's no. We're not trying to to get Christianity edition six point four. We're not trying to get new. We're trying to faithfully hold on to the pattern that was given to us in the past. And the problem with many people in the last forty years is that they are overwhelmed with this desire for new as if something is good just because you put three letters at the beginning of it. New, something is good because you have four letters, T-R-U-E, true. That's what makes it good, not new. Now maybe new things can be good, But Paul tells us here, hold fast to the pattern of the true words, the sound words. Now your Bible's right there. Do you read that verse again in verse 13? Hold fast to what, Dorothy? To the What kind of words? You've got a pattern, a form, a tradition of truth. Hold on to truth. And he's going to warn us. He's going to warn us hold on to the truth because he's about to tell us in verse 15. Look at verse 15. You know this, that all they which are in Asia have turned away from me for jealous and Hermogenes. He's going to tell us in chapter 2, verse 17, false teachers like Hymenaeus and Philetus, they brought up their own truth. And Paul says, we don't need it. We need the pattern that you got from the past. Look down in verse 15. What do you notice here in verse 15? This you know that all they who are in Asia have turned away from me, including. And then there's two words in verse 15. You don't know these words. They only come one time in the Greek Bible. In your Bible, they have capital letters. You don't even know how to say those words. Phygellus, Hermogenes. These are people's names. Is Paul telling us that they did something good, or is Paul telling us they did something bad? Paul judged people and he put their names in the Bible and they called themselves Christians because they followed Paul for a long time. But when they left Paul back in Asia, Paul said, I just want you to know those guys, if you see them, don't trust them. And he gave us their names so that we would know it might happen today. It can happen today that someone here at Grace Bible could turn away or lie or steal or bring false doctrine. And we love you today. But if you act like Fagellus and Hermogenes we might say your name in public like Paul did. That's judgmental. It's biblical. He keeps going. Verse 16, Paul does this to good people and to bad people because there's another name in verse 16, but this is a good guy. Look what he's praised for. Verse 16. The Lord give mercy to the house of Onesiphorus. He often refreshed me. He was not ashamed of my chain. When he was in Rome, he came and found me searching diligently. The Lord grant to him that he may find mercy of the Lord in the final day. And in how many things he ministered to me in Ephesus, you know very well. Onesiphorus was an average Christian who supported missionaries. That's what he did. He's known because he took his money and his time and he helped missionaries. Are we doing that? Paul does it both ways in verse 15. Hey, those guys said they were Christians. Watch out for them. Hey, that guy said he's a Christian he's a true Christian. How do I know? The way you can tell almost without a doubt. Do they help missionaries? That's it. Do they help people who are out planting churches in poor places? That's it. Onesiphorus did and he worked hard. He searched for Paul. He gave money to Paul. He made sure as much as possible, Paul could keep going. And Paul puts his name in here. Verse, chapter two, verse one. Therefore, my son, you must be strong. Put a box around that. It's actually the fourth time he's told us to be strong. Chapter one, verse seven. God has not given us the spirit of fear. He's given us power. Chapter one, verse 13, hold fast, grip, don't let go. The pattern of truth. Chapter one, verse 14, keep the good things that have been given to you. Chapter two, verse one, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And let me just say to you, are you like Timothy? There's no shame in being like Timothy. Timothy is one of the great Christians Are you like him by your personality? Are you naturally fearful or timid? Are you the kind of person that things in life bother you more easily than other people? Paul tells Timothy to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Look in verse 2. He says, commit these things to faithful men. Look at verse 3. Wow, this is a great word in verse 3. Take part in suffering. Danielle, what does your Bible say in verse 3? Join, Join with me in suffering. Alphys, what does yours say in verse 3? Endure hardship. Endure hardship. Dorothy, verse 3. Take your part Take your part. Join with me. I don't know how these preachers who preach prosperity can handle a verse like that. Take your part with me. Paul, your head's about to be cut off. Paul, you're sitting in a poor prison where rats are running over your feet at night. Exactly. Get ready, it's coming to you too. Paul, you'll never build a church that way. I know. The churches I build are terrible. But the churches that God builds last. Even if you tell them, join with me in suffering. Take part in pain. And people come. God saves people. God saved you that way. From the first day that you have been a Christian, you have not heard anything else from me but this. If you trust in Jesus, he'll save you. He'll give you his spirit. He'll give you joy and peace and spiritual blessings, and he'll make your life hard. And when you die, he'll say, well done, good and faithful servant, and you will rejoice for all eternity with pleasures and joys and glories unimaginable if you have left houses or lands or father or mother or brothers or sister for my sake and the gospel. You will rejoice A hundred times. And no one will be able to have the joy that you've had. That's what Paul says here. The whole way through the letter, he's telling them, be strong, be strong, stand up. In another letter, 1 Corinthians, he says, in the old English, quit you like men. Modern English, be a man. The politically correct people today say, you can't say that. Be a man. They say, be a person. Paul said, be a man. We've got enough people out there. We need men. That's what Paul says to Timothy here. You know, when you're about to die, someone else I was reading said this. I can't remember who it was. They said, when you're about to die, it has the wonderful effect of clarifying your mind about the things that are the most important. You can't give these foolish slogans And tricky words that you hear on the TV or from politicians. If you're about to die, you just speak the truth and you don't worry about who's going to be offended because death is coming. You better get it out before it's all over. And Paul just tells the truth. Be strong. Be strong. It's going to hurt. Be ready for it. You young men. Look at all these strong young men here. Two, four, five. You young boys who are going to be men, you listen to me. You, life is going to be hard, but if you want to be a true Christian, you take strength in the Lord Jesus and be ready to suffer. That's the lesson here. He's going to repeat it the whole way through the letter. Have you picked it up though? That's the lesson. Be strong all the time. How, Paul, how do I be strong? Go back to verse two, chapter two, verse two. The things that you have heard from me among many witnesses... Who are those many witnesses, Paul? It's the forefathers of chapter one, verse three. It's Abraham and Moses and David and Isaiah and Jeremiah and Daniel and Hosea and Amos and Obadiah, the whole way up to Malachi. It's John the Baptist, the last of the Old Testament prophets. It's Stephen. He says the things, you, Timothy, you, the things that you've heard of me, And also from all these witnesses give that over to faith. Do you see, that's what I told you. Paul's the conservative. He's taking the best things from history and he's saying, now you young guys, don't forget history. You take the best things and you run with those and give those to the people in the future. Who is this here in verse two? Commit to faithful men who will teach others also. That's your children and your grandchildren. If you're 40, you're supposed to teach the 20-year-olds. And when you're 60, you're still supposed to be teaching 20-year-olds. That's Paul, the great conservative. He tells us how to be strong. There is strength if we go back in history. That's why the Bible is a book of history. That's why the Bible ultimately is a conservative book. It's a book that gives us truth from the beginning right up to the time of Christ. And what is our marching orders? Don't forget any of those stories. You hang on to all of the truths that you've been given. Don't invent. Preserve. You don't need invention. You need faithfulness to what you've been told. This is, I think, one of the most remarkable passages of Scripture because he not only gives here a philosophy for going through hard times, He gives very practical ways to do it. Reach right back and grab all of those truths from history and you'll find in that the strength to keep going. Was your year, last year, difficult? Find strength from godly believers in the past. Find strength from the first recorded Venda convert, Johannes Muchedeni. right here in the Transvaal. He was converted down in Johannesburg and he came back here about 1873. And when the missionaries arrived here, they were shocked to find one venda who knew the truth. Johannes said he was ostracized. He was pushed away from his people. His people didn't want to, because he had this new religion. He didn't fear the spirits. I'll tell you, we need to look back and remember his faith. Living in a hard time, and no one today even knows his name. Well, now you know his name. I think it's John as I can look it up exactly in the book right afterward. Friends, find the strength that God has given us for hundreds and thousands of years through the history of believers, all through, and when you're tired and exhausted, Look back to the way Lydia lived and the way Abigail lived. Look back to those godly believers and then take that and give it to the people in the future. Look at verse number three. Endure hardness as what? A soldier. Verse four. No man who goes to war. You see that Warfare. What's the last word in verse 4? Soldier. Warfare. Fighting. Four times Paul tells us we are in a war. Friends, again, this is what I just said. We are in a deadly combat. There's no time for soft words. There's certainly no time for trickery. We're in a war. Let's be open and plain and clear. When we come to someone, let's be clear about the gospel we're preaching. Let's not think, well, maybe I can grow my church if I just slowly, slowly, slowly. Yes, the truth takes time to come into someone's heart. But let us not be afraid to be honest. We're in a spiritual war and we've got to tell the truth up front. Verse five, if a man also strives for the crown, the prize, he will not win the prize unless he obeys the rules. Verse six, the farmer who labors, he has to taste his fruit to see if it's good. Listen to what I'm saying and the Lord will give you help in all of this. Look at verse eight. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel. Wherein I suffer. There it is again. Suffering. I'm imprisoned. But the word of God cannot be imprisoned. Verse 10. Suffering again. I endure all my suffering for the sake of the ones that God has chosen. So that they also may obtain salvation. Which is in Christ Jesus. Do you see the way it talks about Election. He thinks Paul thought that election will make you an evangelist. And he's exactly right. Look at verse 12. If we suffer, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. There it is. Suffering again. And a reward if we suffer. Now... I've told you in chapter one that he's conserving something. Can someone tell me what he's conserving? What is he conserving? He can say it in different ways. Truth, tradition, heritage, the pattern of sound words. Look down in verse 14. Of these things... Remind them and charge them before the Lord that they do not waste their time with words that are profitless to the subverting of the hearers. That's the exact opposite of truth. Paul is fighting a war over truth. John MacArthur wrote a book called the truth war. He's exactly right. It's a war over truth. So don't listen to people who are wasting their time on profitless talk. Look at verse 16. But shun foolish and worthless babbling. This will only increase to more ungodliness. Wow. And watch out for them, verse 17. Their words will eat like cancer. Oh, and let me just name two people here. What are their names? What are their names in verse 17? Hymenaeus, Philetus. These are two false teachers and he names their names. Paul shames people with their names four times in this epistle. Are you marking down all the verses? Chapter one, verse 15. Chapter two, verse 17. Chapter 4, verse 10. Chapter 4, verse 14. Paul's shaming these people. We're told today, don't judge. We're told today, you can't say that. That's not nice. Paul wasn't of that opinion. And he was inspired by the Holy Spirit. He judged people repeatedly. And I've already reminded you, not just the bad. He writes the bad people four times. He writes the good people too, Onesiphorus. And at the end of the letter, you're going to see he names all the good people. He judges. Paul says, that's a good one. That's a bad one. That's a good one. That's a bad one. We need to do that. We need to be growing in our discernment so we can tell, ah, that's a good one. That's a bad one. That one's in the middle. We'll have to wait and see. Paul could do this because he was not a weak wristed, effeminate, girly man. He was a man who knew I'm dying for Jesus. So I'm going to tell you, fight like a man, be a soldier, be strong. Don't be weak. Look back at all those men who died and you'd be strong like that too, Timothy. You teach those people. We already learned last week. Timothy, as a young man, probably in his young 20s, like you, was supposed to come into this church. He was supposed to come right up to men older than him. Oh, you can't do that in African culture. I've got news for you. You can't do it in white culture either. Young people can't come up to old people and rebuke them. But Paul says, Timothy, go right up to these older men and you stop there mouths that's bold that's strong that's what God calls men to do and keep looking look at verse 18 concerning the truth they have erred you see Paul judged them They, they went away from the truth what were they saying the resurrection is past already and what have they done With their false doctrine, what have they done in verse 18? They destroyed the faith of some people. That means, let's just be very clear, these guys who called themselves Christians and were preaching as if they were pastors had so changed the Bible that they were sending people to hell. Imagine what that means. To stay under God's eternal wrath. And that's why Paul says, we don't play around. It's a war, Timothy. They're going to hell, Timothy. The false teachers are coming in with Christian words and Christian terms. We judge them, we warn the people. And then look down at verse 19. Nevertheless, even with the false teachers coming in, don't worry. The foundation of God will be sure it's sealed by this. The Lord knows the ones that are his. There's Calvinism again. God knows the ones that are his. He knows how many people in this church are true Christians. He knows how many people in this town will be converted. He knows them. They're not lost to God and they cannot be and will not be. Keep going. And therefore, let everyone who names the name of Christ do what? Depart from iniquity. This is what we learned in 1 John. Paul is marvelous. What a glorious teacher. He's been talking about truth all the time. So I can imagine some man who's very gifted with reading and with writing. Reading this letter and thinking, That's right, I need to sit at my desk and write all these things down. And Paul says, it's not enough to hold to the truth. You have to actually live the truth as well. Do you see it? It's what we're seeing in 1 John. There's a doctrinal test. That's the test of truth. And there's a practical test. That's how am I living my life? I know young men, right now who want to be pastors or elders in a godly church, but because they cannot get control of pornography, they're not departing from iniquity. They cannot be elders. Well, Paul, what if they have all the truth? That's not enough. It's a truth war, but not only a truth war. That's why I say when we preach the gospel, we must not only speak true words, we must speak it in such a way that men and women leave their sin. It's not enough to give a lecture about the truth. I've got to present it to you so that when you go home tonight, you are afraid of sin. You hate sin. Something in your stomach turns and is disgusted by it. That's what God wants us to be here, departing from iniquity. He goes on to explain that more in verses 20 and 21. Then look at verse 22. Now he tells Timothy the kind of lifestyle. Not only must you depart from iniquity, but verse 22. What's the first word of verse 22? Run. Youthful lusts. Run away from that, but follow what? righteousness, faith, love, peace with all the other believers who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Verse 23, be discerning, foolish and unlearned questions. Stay away from them. They just stir up strife. Stay away from foolish questions. I hear teachers sometimes say, oh, there's no such thing as a bad question. Just go ahead. What's your question? No, Paul says there's some dumb questions. There are some questions that the goal of those questions is to push you out of the truth. It's not really an honest question. How do you tell if a question is a good question or a bad question? The attitude and motive of the questioner. Is the questioner asking because he wants to somehow be helped into the truth? Or is the questioner asking because he's got his agenda And he wants to pull you aside from what you're talking about. In one sense, I would say there's no bad questions if they come from a mind that's teachable. If someone wants to learn and they just don't understand, they say, well, when you say Jesus is God, I don't understand. That's a great question. Answer it. But if someone comes and says, you say Jesus is God, how can that be? How can that be? With those eyes, with that tone of voice, sorry, you can go your way. If you want truth, there's answers, but stay away from the questions that are just there to stir up strife. Be discern. Again, it's judgment. Do you see it's all judgment? We're told don't judge today, and that's why the church is in such a wreck. We can't judge anything, so we don't judge. And Paul tells us all the time, judge. Even every one of these commands requires judging. Look at verse 22, flee youthful lusts. How can you flee youthful lusts unless you've judged what is a youthful lust? Verse 22, follow righteousness. How can you follow righteousness unless you've made a judgment about what things are righteous? Do you see? You have to judge every single thing. So when they tell you, oh, don't judge, don't judge, They're making the Christian life an impossibility. Verse 24. This is brilliant. The apostles logic in this letter is unshakable. Before we read verse 24, I just want to stop and say, as I just mentioned earlier, there's a kind of person that this letter will appeal to like me. My personality is strong and bold, right? And Timothy says, be strong. Or Paul told Timothy, be strong, go get in the war. And there's a kind of personality that might come out and, like a bull in a shop with glass, break everything. What would happen if you bring a cow into a place that's selling glass? Well, Paul balances right here in verse 24. Look at verse 24. The servant of the Lord must not quarrel. He must not be quick to fight. He must be what toward all men? What must he be, everyone? Gentle. That's brilliant, isn't it? On one side, fight like a man. On the other side, you've got to be gentle like a mother who nurses a baby. Gentle. Able to teach. What's the last word of verse 24? Patient. Verse 25. In gentleness, instructing the ones that are in opposition, perhaps God will give them repentance. Wow, this is brilliant, Paul. You see, Paul has been very bold. He's named Hymenaeus. He's named uh, each of these false teachers. Philetus. And then he says, wait a minute, wait a minute. There is a time to name a false teacher like Muhammad. And there's a time to be very gentle because just maybe God will give this one repentance. And by the way, that's Calvinism too. Where does repentance come from in verse 25? Is it a gift? Do you see it in verse 25? Dorothy, read verse 25 for us. <laughs> God might give them. Did you hear that? Maybe God will give it to them. It means they don't have it until he gives. The doctrines of grace are all through the letters of Paul. There it is, and perhaps they will recover themselves from the snare of Satan, because they've been captived, taken captive by him at his will. In chapter three, we're back to the truth war, and know this: in the last days, dangerous times will come. That word, that that phrase, "dangerous times," can be translated many ways. Perilous times, dangerous times, epics of danger, waves of false teaching and destruction are going to come. And that's what we see when we look back through history. Look back through history, and if you go back a thousand years, you'll see the Enlightenment. The enlightenment was a time in Europe that said, man is the measure of all things. We don't need God, man can do it. Go back further, come to Gnosticism. It says, everything that's physical is bad. The only thing that's good is spiritual things. There's an error too. Legalism, you can please God. You can earn your salvation if you simply obey rules. All these dangerous waves rolling out at the church one after another. By the way, this is another reason that preachers need to read history so they'll understand these dangerous waves and be able to lead their people against it. After enlightenment, see the dangerous waves, evolution, Marxism, Feminism. Social justice. Wave after wave. Paul warned us. Know this. In the last time, it's just going to be one wave after another beating on the church. Why? Look in verse 2. 18 sins are listed here. 18 sins. Men will be lovers of their own selves. Covetous means they love money. Boasters. Proud. Blasphemers. Disobedient to parents unthankful unthankful have we ever lived in a time that is more ungrateful people get electricity for free and if it goes off for a day they complain how many of them have written letters to thank the government for the electricity right verse 3 heartless unforgiving slanderous Out of control. Cruel. Can I tell you what cruel is? That's in verse three. Your Bible may have the word brutal or fierce. This week in America, a Chinese American woman introduced into one of our provinces a law. It's not a law. It has to be voted on. But she introduced a law that says, if a baby, if they try to kill a baby in abortion, and the baby is born, and the baby is sitting on the table, once the baby's been born, they can kill that baby. The baby's alive, it's outside of the mother's womb, it's living. That is cruel. You can't say anymore, well, it's the, it's, we're, we're, we're protecting the woman. You're not protecting the woman there. The baby's outside sitting on the table. And in America, they introduced legislation to say they can kill the baby. Cruel people. Listen to the stories of people who suffered crime here in this country. Cruel people looking for ways just to torture people. Cruelty. Despisers of those that are good. Verse four, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasures, more than lovers of God. Where are the people tonight to hear the Bible? How many people right now are watching TV? They would rather have that than hear the Bible. Right? Lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. How much money was spent on sports last year? Compare that to how much money was given to planting churches in this country. Verse 5 They have a kind of godliness, but they deny the power of it. They really have no power in their religion. You see, that's interesting because the charismatics talk about power. Don't they? They talk these days about having great power. Look at the miracles we can do. Look what we can do. Really? Paul says, if you have power, you'll leave the sins. Those 18 sins, you'll stop them. That's real power. Look at verse six. It's not politically correct. So if you're offended, then you might just want to stop and take your scissors and cut verse six out. For this is the kind who creep into houses And they lead captive, what kind of women? Gullible. Foolish. Silly. They lead women astray who are foolish and gullible and silly. The Bible never says that about men. He's warning you here. He tells us men are wicked. He warns you here, watch out. Watch out, ladies. You're going to get the grant on the last day of the month. And the first week of the new month, there's going to be a crusade with a big offering. And they're going to do whatever they can to get your money. A woman out here in Wyoming told us over five years, she had given 250,000 rand to a prosperity church. 250,000 rand over five years. That's a lot of money. Watch out for that. Verse seven, they're always learning but they can never find the truth. They're not teachable. Look in verse eight. These false teachers resist the truth. They are men of corrupt minds. They've been rejected. They're illogical. Have you ever talked to these kind of people? As soon as you try to talk to them about the gospel, they go off on some other turn. Watch out for them. And this says right here, turn away from them. Turn away from them. That's verse five. Verse nine, in time, their foolishness will be clear to everyone. Verse 10, but you've known me, I've lived a holy life. You know where I'm at right now. You know my manner of life and my purpose and my faith and my long suffering. There's Paul calling attention to himself. And look in verse 11 and 12, there's suffering again, persecutions and afflictions. Verse 12, yes and everyone who lives a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Verse 13, evil men and false teachers will grow more and more, worse and worse. And then what happens to these evil men in verse 13? Tell me the two verbs. They're deceiving people and something's happening to them. What's happening to them in verse 13? Oh, this needs to be a whole sermon. Maybe I'll do it soon. These people are tricking themselves. It is possible to trick yourself. I wish if I had one verse to preach to all the country of South Africa, it might be that verse. You can trick yourself. People have this foolish idea that they can trick other people, but they themselves cannot trick themselves. No, you can lie to yourself. You do it all the time. Have you ever seen an ugly girl who calls herself pretty? Have you never seen a a boy who can't play soccer? bragging as if he's a great player and everyone knows the guy can't play. He's the last one to be picked. They're picking soccer teams. He's always the last one. And when he say, yeah, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm good, I'm good. He's deceiving himself. And isn't that what happens in Matthew 7 verse 21? In the last day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we cast out devils in your name? Didn't we preach in your name? Didn't we do many mighty miracles in your name? They're deceived, even at the last day. This is the judgment day. They're standing in front of Jesus' throne and they're shocked. Why are they shocked? Because they tricked themselves. It is very possible to trick yourself and these false teachers do it all the time. Verse 14, you continue in the things you've learned, the things you've been assured of, knowing from whom you learned them. there's Paul again pointing to the past verse 15 from a child you've known the holy scriptures which can make you wise to salvation verse 16 and 17 the inspiration of sola scriptura again its truth and chapter 4 he closes with these amazing words verse chapter 4 verse 1 i charge you before god and the lord jesus christ i command you timothy there's the wartime talk again i'm commanding you timothy Jesus will come back and he'll judge you. So preach the word. Teach the Bible. When? Verse 2. When should we teach the Bible? In season and out of season, which just means reprove, rebuke, exhort. Reprove and rebuke are negative words. You must Say negative things. It's right there. Reprove and rebuke. You can't reprove or rebuke without saying negative. Exhort. There's the positive. Two negatives, one positive. Verse three. The time is coming when they will not listen to the truth, but they will call teachers who have itching ears, teachers who love to be praised, teachers who will say anything as long as... You will clap for them. Again, look at verse four. They turn your ears from the truth and they turn your ears to myths. Foolish talk. Wasted words. It's a truth war. But you, verse five, watch in everything. Endure suffering. There it is again, suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Verse six. I'm ready to die. The time of my death is near. God told Paul, Paul, you're about to die. And Paul didn't cry. He wants to die. He's ready for it. Why? Verse 7 I fought my fight, I finished my course, and I haven't given up. Verse 8 There's a crown for me and for all of you if you will serve the Lord like me. Verse 9 Be diligent, come see me. Verse 14 He names the false teachers again. But look at this. Verse 15. Verse 16 at my first reply, that's the first time he stood in court. No one stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray to God that it would not be laid to their charge. There again, do you see it? Paul names a false teacher in verse 14 and in verse 16, he's gentle like a mother with a baby with true Christians He's loving and gentle with the false Christians. He hits them like he he's going after wolves. Well, there's much more in this wonderful letter. But just look at this final closing thing in verse 20. Not only is Paul about to die and God has told him, but look in verse 20. Erastus abode of Corinth. Trophimus, I left at Miletum because he was what? Paul, the great apostle, could not heal everyone. God does not want everyone to be healed or that man would be healed. And that's a great proof text that proves God does not want all people healed. Here's the theme of Timothy. Endure, fight, persevere. You can just write one word, Right at the front of the book, endure, persevere, don't give up. May God help us to endure, to persevere so that we would not give up. Let's close in prayer.